0: In our last lesson in Genesis chapter 6, we found that the construction of Noah's Ark presented us with several types of Jesus Christ, our Ark of Safety. Today, before we go on to chapter 7, I'd like to spend a few more moments reviewing these beautiful types. So just turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. No doubt the pitch mentioned here was some kind of tar applied to the ark to seal the joints and keep out the water. But more than that, this pitch is a type of the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew word used here for pitch is kofar. But this word is also translated atonement, which of course means to cover. None of the floodwaters of God's judgment could touch Noah and his family because of the application of this tar on the outside and the inside of the ark. So in type, sinners who by faith are now in Christ are covered by the atoning work of Jesus. And because of this, they are safe from God's righteous judgment. On the outside of the ark, God looks upon the work of atonement and is satisfied. On the inside of the ark, those who are in Christ look upon the work of atonement and are assured of safety. Verse 16 says, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. That little window had several lessons for us. Because it was located on the top of the ark and afforded a view of heaven, it speaks to us of prayer. It looked up to God, not out to judgment. No, Noah and his family never actually saw the awful consequences of the flood waters of judgment, for there was only one window and it looked straight up. In like manner those who are in Christ, the Ark of Safety will never see judgment. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And although the ark was three stories high and had the dimensions of an ocean liner, there is no mention of a deck. So there was no possibility of Noah and his family falling off. If you are in Christ, you are kept by the power of God. As a Christian, you cannot fall off of the ark because you are in the ark. And then verse 16 tells us there was only one door in the side of the ark, and it was a door that had to be entered by faith. When the door was open, there was no sign of a flood. But when God's judgment finally came, the door had been closed forever. And in spite of the fact that the ark was 450 feet long, was three stories high, and a full cargo of animals and food needed to be loaded into it, there was only one door. Here again we see a type of our Lord Jesus, who is the one and only door by which we can escape God's judgment. And Jesus told us clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In our last lesson we saw Noah and his family safely housed in the ark and riding high upon the floodwaters. However, for today's lesson, we are going to back up a little and have another look at the old world that Noah had left behind. And before we leave this antediluvian world, I'd like to make a comparison between its weather system and the one that Noah was going to be greeted with when he stepped out of the ark. First of all, let me say that the information we are going to be looking at is only theoretical. Much of what I am presenting here is not actually found in Scripture. However, God has given us hints and clues in Scripture, and from these references and from other physical clues left behind in our world, Christian men have developed reasonable theories of what they believe the antediluvian world was like. One of these men is Henry M. Morris. And by the way, he is one of the Bible expositors that I will be depending upon for a lot of information in the lessons ahead. He is a creationist, an apt student of the Word, and for 13 years was the chairman of the Civil Engineering Department at Virginia Polytech Institute and State University. In previous lessons, we have already noted the complete absence of rainfall at the beginning of creation. This condition probably lasted throughout the entire antediluvian age. Over in Genesis chapter 2, if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 2, starting to read at verse 5, or partway through verse 5. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. And there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. We also noted that in the beginning there was a great quantity of water above the earth. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. The word translated midst here indicates a more or less equal division of the waters. This, of course, is completely unlike our present-day system, where less than 1% of the Earth's water is in our atmosphere. So this verse indicates a great canopy of water, probably in vapor form, surrounding the Earth above the Earth's atmosphere or firmament. The canopy would have protected the Earth from the intense rays of the sun and produced a greenhouse effect that would have ensured a universally temperate climate. This great body of water could not be made up of water droplets, as is the case in clouds or fog. For Genesis 1, 14 and 15 tells us the stars were clearly visible. This would only be possible with a canopy of water vapor, which even in vast amounts is completely invisible. Such a canopy would serve many purposes. Number one, as mentioned, it would diffuse and distribute solar radiation evenly around the Earth, maintaining an essentially uniform and pleasantly warm climate all over the world. With this nearly uniform temperature, the movement of great air masses would be inhibited. So severe winds, which can be so violent today, would be virtually unknown. Yes, there would be no tornadoes or hurricanes to worry about. Number three, also with this canopy in place, there would not be sufficient solar radiation to produce enough evaporation for rainfall. And number four, this canopy of water vapor would also be highly effective in filtering out ultraviolet radiation, cosmic rays, and other destructive radiation from outer space. So you could put away your sunscreen. (laughs) Now, some people have questioned this theory, saying that the heavy vapor canopy resting upon the atmosphere would greatly increase the air pressure on Earth. No doubt this would be true. However, that should cause no problem for man or beast, providing their internal pressure had time to adjust correspondingly. Even today, we have sea creatures crawling on the ocean's floor that live quite happily under hundreds of pounds of water pressure. This is because the internal pressure in their bodies equals the external pressure applied on them, so there is actually no strain at all put upon their bodies. Then, of course, there is the problem of how the rivers would be supplied with water if there was no rainfall. As you know, in our present system, the weather patterns are controlled principally by the heat of the sun. By the process of evaporation, every day thousands of tons of water are lifted from our oceans, seas, and lakes to become water droplets in the form of clouds. Again, because of the heat of the sun and the rotation of the earth, we have wind patterns and temperature changes that carry the water to the land masses and precipitate it in the form of rain. Then the rivers are fed by runoff and flow by the force of gravity into the sea again. So the question naturally arises if there was no rain and no wind, then how were the rivers supplied? Well, of course, we can only theorize, but it seems quite obvious from Genesis chapter 7 that there must have been great reservoirs of water underneath the earth. And no doubt these reservoirs were those referred to in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11, which you can turn to right now. Genesis 7. And verse 11, speaking of the time when the flood came. The same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. These subterranean reservoirs could then have supplied the rivers through underground channels and their waters being propelled not by solar energy, but by the tremendous thermal energy that still exists in the center of the earth. Powered by such an unlimited source of heat energy they would then emerge as fountains or artesian wells to supply the rivers. So instead of solar heat circulating water over our heads as it does today, you would have a subterranean thermal loop circulating water below the earth. And I suspect that some of these tremendous water reservoirs, although mostly destroyed at the time of the flood, and of course now empty of water, still exist in the form of underground grottoes that cave explorers visit today. Well, I better close this subject for now and possibly revisit it again later. I think Noah, who already knows all about these things, will be anxious to get aboard the ark and leave the antediluvian age behind. God had spoken clearly to Noah in chapter 6, verses 13 to 14, concerning the coming judgment, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Then as far as we can tell from the scriptural record, there was a 120-year period of silence. At least there was no recorded incidence of any added revelation from God. So without any further instructions for over a century, Noah proceeded steadily and faithfully with his work, building the ark and preaching to his generation. Hebrews calls Noah's actions a work of faith. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And Second Peter tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So it appears that Noah directed his life for the next 120 years on the basis of this single revelation from God. In complete obedience to his Maker's command, he built the ark, and with all the urgency possible, he preached the coming judgment year after year without one single convert, except his own family. No wonder the Holy Spirit put him in the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Finally the ark was completed and all the animals were assembling. The 120 years would be up in just a few days. Grandfather Methuselah, who had served God in the midst of a wicked generation and had lived longer than any other man, was now on his deathbed. Many Bible expositors believe that the name Methuselah means "When he dies, it shall be sent." If this is correct, then for nine hundred and sixty-nine years, God had been long-suffering with mankind and in second Peter three and nine, it says that in this present age of grace, God is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. And he had been long suffering with Noah's generation also. For 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 tells us when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing. So while God waited patiently for 969 years, during which Noah preached for the last one hundred and twenty men mocked God. They continued in their evil ways, little thinking that Methuselah was God's time clock, ticking away the remaining minutes of grace. And in our day, men still mock God and ignore his warnings. Yes, Second Peter chapter 3 verses 3 to 6 speaks of our generation with their supposed knowledge of evolution and the denial of the flood of God's judgment. They scoff at the second coming of Christ, and ignore any possibility that there could be a Creator who would hold them accountable for their actions. Let's just look at that, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting to read at verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. So you see, we are living in the days of Noah, and like that faithful man, we should warn the lost around us. Noah preached, and Noah built, and finally the day drew nigh. As we have noted, Methuselah was nearing the end, and with him the last few days of grace were running out. Then after more than a century of silence, God spoke once again to his faithful servant Noah, in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. God said, Thee have I seen righteous. However, although Noah was a godly man, his own works had not made him righteous before God. Noah's righteousness was counted to him because of his faith. Just like Abraham, Noah was a man who believed God. And Hebrews 11 and 7 attest to his faith By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And did you notice that in Genesis 7 and 1 God said, Come thou and all thy house into the ark? Yes, God said, Come thou, not go thou into the ark. So God was with Noah in the ark. Although the flood would soon be unleashed with devastating fury, Noah and his family would be safe with God. And even though Noah was the spiritual leader of his family, it was the personal faith of each member that saved them. Each one voluntarily chose to enter the ark and renounce the world in which they had lived so long. Yes, they were leaving a wicked world. But they were also leaving their own possessions behind, which could have been considerable. It is possible, no doubt probable, that Noah was a rich man. For logically speaking, how could he afford to finance such a project as the building of the ark if he did not have considerable wealth? So unlike Lot's wife, they all left their homes and herds without a backward look. Verse 2 says in chapter 7, Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. Some have argued for a non-universal flood, holding the theory that the waters upon the earth were only local in nature. The answer to that question is found right here in these verses. The stated purpose for bringing the animals into the ark was to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. If the flood were only local in nature, then as far as the animals were concerned, the ark would have been unnecessary as a means for the survival of their species. Notice the specific instructions as to quantity. Of clean beasts there were to be seven, three pairs and one extra. Probably the three pairs were to encourage the relatively greater multiplication of the clean animals after the flood, as they would be needed for food. After all, the human race was likewise to be recommenced with three young couples, not just one, as was the case of Adam and Eve. So no doubt God was equipping the world with a food source sufficient for mankind. Another possibility is that the three pairs of clean animals would allow for a greater variety of genetic factors, so that more varieties could be developed later as needed. Then, of course, the seventh clean animal, as we will see later, was for sacrifice. And the unclean animals that were not appropriate as a food source for man would only require a single pair to be taken aboard. Verse 4. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. God gave Noah a week to make final preparations, to assemble the animals in their stalls, to finish gathering the provisions for man and beast, and perhaps by this activity to give a final warning to the world of the ungodly. The door was still open, but no one entered. Only Noah and his family made their preparations, assured by God that in seven days a tremendous rain would destroy every living substance from off the face of the earth. Under our present atmospheric conditions, a worldwide rain lasting 40 days would not be possible. There just isn't that much water available in the heavens. This phenomenon required an utterly different source of atmospheric water than is available today. So we are quite certain that this supply of rain came from the waters which were above the firmament in the form of a tremendous thermal blanket of invisible water vapor. The words every living substance in the original text literally means all existence or all that grows up. So it seems that the destruction not only included the animals, but plant life as well. The violent floodwaters would have destroyed every living substance, uprooting lust forests and washing away meadows, and finally burying them along with man and beast in the sediments where they would one day become coal beds, or be left lying on the surface of the earth to go back to the dust. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. And Noah proceeded to do all that the Lord had commanded him, just as he had always done for over a hundred years. Here was the final test, and Noah obeyed without hesitation. Verse 6, And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts, and of beasts that were not clean, and of fowls, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah, into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. The date of this significant event was marked by Noah's age. When Noah was six hundred years old, he and his family entered into the ark, and the flood began. This date, in effect, terminated the antediluvian age and began a new age. The entrance of Noah's family and the animals into the ark cut them off once and for all from the world outside. From that moment on, the new order had begun for all those with whom God would deal in grace. As if to emphasize the fact that God's commandments were being carried out to the letter, all that entered the ark were recorded in these verses. It was sort of a balancing of the ledger. Noah, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, and the animals, all present and accounted for. Everything had been done as commanded. Verse 10, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, On the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Strangely enough, the exact date is given here. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month. Although we do not know which calendar was in use at that time, the fact remains that it was a definite day. On the 17th of the month, the last day of God's grace to the end of the Luvian civilization came to an end. The seven-day period of grace had passed away, and the time of judgment had arrived. Today, there is another age of grace that is fast running out, And although we look for the Lord's return, for some of our friends and neighbors, the day is coming when the door of the ark will be forever closed. Time is running out. So on the 17th of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. The implication of these few words is enormous. This was not merely a rainstorm. But in fact, two great reservoirs of water that had been separated by the firmament suddenly came together as they had been before the second day of creation. The great fountains of the deep were fractured probably by volcanic eruptions and the water poured forth. The tremendous reservoir of water above the atmosphere condensed and poured down for forty days and forty nights. Nothing like it had ever happened before nor has ever happened since. Verse 13, In the self same day entered Noah, and Sham and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with him, into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So on the very last day, after the seven days of grace were fulfilled, on the day in which the flood began, Noah and his family entered the ark. Also on the fateful day, When the last child of God is added to the Bride of Christ, the day of grace will be over. And I believe that day is fast approaching. Once all were inside the ark, for evidently Noah had been the last to enter, a remarkable thing took place. The Lord shut him in. The door of the ark was shut and sealed without the help of any human hand. This provided a final assurance to Noah and his family that they were in the will of God and under his protection. From that moment on, the old world was forever dead to them. Henceforth, their life was to be a new life, and they were headed toward a new world. Had the flood not destroyed the world of the ungodly, no doubt the ungodly would have destroyed them. But now they were safe. And so also is every believer, for Christ has died and rose again, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Let us just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great plans for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are not willing that any should perish, but all should come unto the knowledge of the truth. Help us, Heavenly Father, to share the news. The time is drawing close when God will come forth in judgment. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.